0: Okay, um, today, glasses on and off, but I'm going to be talking about the, um, Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Now we've all heard this story, it's famous, even people who don't really know much about God have sometimes heard about this. But what conversion did you experience? Have you had any amazing transformations or do you know someone who has? How many God moments have you had in your life which took you by surprise but you knew they came from God. Interesting things to ponder. So today we're looking at Saul, his history, his background, and his amazing conversion. We will look at how he became an advocate for God, and what his story tells us about the character and the plan of God for our lives. Clive and I have had many experiences of God in our lives, often in hindsight, when we left Gisborne 27 years ago, 12 months later than we had originally been planned, um, due to a lot of things, a fatal car accident, and just lots of things that just blocked us. But then we, when we looked back, we realised God had gone before us. And within a matter of a few weeks, we both got very good jobs in Matter, a little place. And it's where we met Paul Davidson, who's the vicar of Matter. And after the first time we went to church, after we'd been there about six months, he presented himself at his door, and his first comment to Clive was, And Are you saved? <laughs> and we went, OK. And so that started a different Christian walk for both Clive and I. And so we could see God's hand in that. If we'd have left 12 months earlier, we might not have ended up in the same place. So he has a plan. Now I'm new at this thing, and I'm very grateful that I have got... Support there? Okay. We first meet Saul. He's at the stoning of Stephen. He's introduced, because they say about Stephen. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man called Saul. What am I doing? Just press it, she's telling me. So Saul was there. This may mean he was in charge of Stephen's execution. Or was he just there as a, um, to make sure it happened? Whatever, we know his main aim was to destroy the church, as we'd heard in Acts 8.13. Um, pardon? We just have a little interlude here. Thank you. That picture is just of Saul standing there with all the coats around him. So it shows how much he was either feared or honoured. Saul was born a few years after Jesus' birth. His hometown was Tarsus in Asia Minor, it was a modern day Turkey. It wasn't an ordinary city. It was a sort of a cosmopolitan place where east met west, there was land and sea, and it had culture and universities and an autonomous government from Rome, which was quite important in those days. And it sympathised and communicated with all types of people. So his early environment was very significant in God's preparation for his mission to the Gentiles. He was born into a Jewish family. And he came from the tribe of Benjamin. So his family would have made sure he was very saturated in the Old Testament scriptures from an early age. And he belonged to a very strict Orthodox sect. He was a Pharisee. He reigned and learned under Gamaliel, one of the most important rabbis of the day. And this is what he says about himself. I am a Jew. I was born in Tarsus in Cilicia, Cilicia, sorry, and I grew up here in Jerusalem. I studied with Gamaliel. I was well trained by him in the law given to our people long ago, and I wanted to serve God as much as any of you do today. I hurt the followers in the way of Jesus. I sent many of them to their death. I arrested men and women. I threw them into prison. So how? How did this man, who committed such despicable acts against God's people, become his greatest advocate? Well, Saul had a brilliant mind. He displayed zeal for God through his religious tradition. He was passionate and ambitious, and he acted on his convictions, because he thought people who believed in Jesus were heretical and blasphemous, and therefore he strove to uphold God in the way he knew and kill them. So what is conversion? What is this thing that happened to Saul? Changing of your mind, changing of your heart? Some experience conversion as an emotional, mind-blowing event, other it's very gentle. In his book, Turning the World Upside Down, Roy Clement states that John Bunyan wanted to tell the cows of his joy. Blaise Pascal, who was a French philosopher, stood for two hours lost in ecstasy. While John Wesley tells how he had a heartfelt warming just listening to someone talking on Romans. But the one I like the most is C.S. Lewis, who wrote in his biography that he finally gave in and admitted God was God. So John Stott notes that Saul's experience is the most famous conversion in history. And Luke was so impressed with it. He made sure it was in the Bible three times. So here is a man with authority and power to kill Christians at will. His presence alone created anxiety amongst most of God's people. We know dictators in the world today who, through their command, have people disappear and are killed. What a frightening time to live in. And Saul could do this. He could just um, speak... And it would be done. His life-changing experience on the road to Damascus led to his baptism and instruction in the Christian faith. And he became the most determined of apostles, suffering brutal physical pain, persecution and martyrdom. That's quite a lot, isn't it, (laughs) to take in when he um, finally met Jesus. Just think. Think. What was he expecting when he was travelling to Damascus? Very different from reality. His uh, objection was to find and capture all believers. And he left Jerusalem breathing murderous threats. Then a light flashed around him. When he saw that light, he fell to the ground. I bet he wasn't expecting our resurrected Lord to speak to him and challenge his actions, It must have shook him to the core As it said in the reading The group heard the sound But he heard the voice That can't be any clearer Than the fact that it's for him from God And he asked Who are you, Lord? And I wonder if in his spirit He actually knew who it was And Jesus asked him Why do you persecute me? Because to hurt any Christian Is to hurt Jesus And it turns Paul's world upside down to a point where he's thinking that ridding the world of people who are against God. And he believes he's on this holy quest for God. And now he's learning that he's wrong. The voice tells him, get up and go into the city where he will get further instructions. And because the light blinds him, he has to have people take him by the hand and lead him. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink. And he is praying, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to make sense of what has happened to him. But we see that even Ananias is cautious. He's heard reports of the man and what he's done to the holy people in Jerusalem. But God is adamant. This is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And this is, you know, could we have done this? So here is Saul. He's the privilege of being chosen, selected, and favoured from all men. God's planned man for the Gentiles. Yet with that huge blessing comes a huge cost. God shows him how he will suffer. And we all know he was imprisoned and beaten often. But Ananias Ananias goes, places his hand on him as instructed, and we're told that Saul then spent time with the disciples and began to preach in the synagogue. Imagine meeting Saul after his conversion Would you believe him? Would you trust him? Would you want proof that he'd really changed? But this is the difference with God. When he forgives our past, it is gone. And no memory of it remains. And he forgave Saul. A person's past doesn't matter to Christ. He's more interested in their future. And even though Saul had been one of Jesus' cruelest enemies, he became one of his closest friends. God's forgiveness is full and final. And it's interesting that he chooses the most unlikely people to accomplish his will. Over and over again in the Bible, we see flawed people who do amazing things in God's strength. When Paul Davidson asked Clive and I, after we'd been at church a few months, to lead our first home group there, we both felt quite out of our depth But Paul was always one of these very confident people Oh, you'll be fine um, But with encouragement and prayer We learned and found that we knew just enough each week to get through And it was God leading the discussion, not us And it was a very good growing time for us We learned that if God calls a person to task He equips them And Paul received the Holy Spirit along with the truth of the gospel. Remember, he already knew the Old Testament, and Jesus just showed him the truth. And so he could share it with others. He couldn't have achieved this in his own strength, but only through God alone. So in one moment of fear, enlightenment and regret, Saul understood that Jesus was the true Messiah. And that he had helped murder and imprison innocent people. Very powerful. A very powerful exchange that took place in his heart. And his conversion proves that God can call and transform anyone he chooses, even the most hard hearted. So, did, he, did God change his name? Because he went from Saul to Paul But no, not really at all See, Saul of Tarsus was born a Jew Circumcised on the eighth day of the race of Israel And of the tribe of Benjamin The Hebrew name given by his parents was Saul But because his father was a Roman citizen His Roman name was Paul And it was very common in those times to have dual names But this is a remarkable story. The most compelling evidence that Christian faith is the profound change that unfolds in the lives of genuine people who have lifestyles with Christ-centred lives. And as I said before, the Bible is also full of these stories. But our testimonies of God working in our lives are powerful too because they can't be disputed. They are our truths. So don't overlook them. And remember to share them with people. The story of Paul is a story of redemption in Christ and a testimony that no one is beyond saving. What is remarkable is that it took him from a persecutor to a person bent on spreading the word of the gospel. He'd never met Jesus, apart from on the road to Damascus when Jesus was alive. He was not one of the original 12 apostles. But he ended up writing 13 of the 27 New Testament books. A quiz. What are they? Romans. Romans. Acts. Yes. Oh, no, not Acts, actually. Ephesians. Ephesians. Galatians. Yes. Galatians. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no. Well, we still don't know who wrote any, <laughs> <laughs> So we've got Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, 1 Thessalonian, 2 Thessalonians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Philemon, Philippians, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. I mean, that's a fair whack. But God used Paul to record many of the doctrines and teachings he wanted us Christians to live by. He never met Jesus, but he became a follower of such deep knowledge of him. What of that? What of that? To have a conversion that made you so clear of focus, so able to put God's kingdom before yourself. I think it's a challenge for us to do daily, let alone be able to do it like he did. i um, yeah, I've been quite in awe doing this. Anyhow, the journey forward for Paul. I mean to have hit that again. I do have some scriptures coming up. I'm not necessarily going to read them, but they're just because they're relevant to where I am, if that's all right with you. So, Paul met the disciples after his conversion, and immediately they taught him, and he began to preach in the synagogues about God's Son. And as you can imagine, people were shocked. They remembered what he had been like, and it took a while for them to believe him. His conversion was stunning and so pronounced that even the Jews plotted to kill him to start with. But he continued to preach. I'm just moving on. Okay, he also said... Whatever I have gained, and I think Sarah read these verses out to you, not last week, the week before, but they're really important because it puts in perspective how he saw his conversion and and his serving of God. But whatever gain I have had, I count as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus. Paul weighed everything about his life, his accomplishments, his goals and attainments, and saw that suffering with and for Jesus was worth more than anything he ever had. And that was a huge challenge for us, To look at what we have and weigh it up against our um, heart for Jesus. And sometimes I think we have too much and therefore it's hard to even understand it. So Paul continues in the passage, not only have I already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because... Jesus has made me his own. I mean he considered himself a, a bond slave for Jesus. I found these words really incredibly difficult to l- align with my life and I try to serve but yeah, it just made me see the huge gap that's in there. I'm jumping a wee bit of my sermon because a lot of it was wordy and I didn't want to, I don't want to do that anymore. great. <laughs> so no, sorry. Paul knew that he would suffer for Christ's sake and he also knew that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory, the glory revealed to us in his kingdom. What could turn a man around that was so dedicated to his beliefs and so intent on squashing others? Only the loving power of Jesus. One of the things that I note is some um, those who know us really well, know that our son and daughter-in-law and children are all moving away shortly. And they told us probably not quite a year ago, and I was quite upset at the time. And I wouldn't say I was angry at God, because we're very close as a family, but I certainly was lost in what he was doing. And I remember saying to him one night, if this is what you really have for them, you better darn well show me. Because at the moment, um, I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, it's like asking for patience. You know, all of a sudden, no matter what I did or what I opened, it was, this is for my glory. This is what I need. You know, these are my plans. And the thing that we have, Clive and I have seen, is Ben and Dee were looking and thinking about going. And then all of a sudden, it's like God has opened a door and he got a job. And he got this, and he got that, and they're going. You know, it just was so quick, even to the smallest detail, where they'd had um, an issue and they just had to lift a little bit of carpet. Do you know how difficult it is to get a tradesman to come to do a 10-minute job? You know, $250 just to come. And then Dee saw that their neighbours had a carpet man. And so she sat in her car and rung the number on his van and said, look, we're just down the drive. He said, oh, I'll pop in. He did it for free, it was done, and it's just, these are the things that I just see God and he He needs them there, and for quite a few years, we've known that Ben especially has this huge heart for navigators, and he loved it when he was in Christchurch as part of it, and, and I've just realised that no matter what I want for them, it is nothing compared to what God has for them, and needs them to do, and yeah, so we're learning, okay, This. But we had a fabulous time with them in Rosario yesterday. So some of the things that this Gabriel Ganika, I thought her lessons were amazing when I read them. Our Lord's divine mercy often comes when we're at our worst or our lowest point. And I'm sure we can all relate to that. When has God shown mercy to you? Our Lord's intervention in our lives will often be totally unexpected. I've often been what I call the eleventh hour of an issue, and then my just-in-time God comes through, and He's done it time and time and time again. But I still am so surprised when He does it. Our Lord's present in our lives, or presence, is often found outside church, and that's the important part. It's not just an in-church thing, it's in our lives and with others we interact with. And we all have blocks. Pride, arrogance, selfishness, money, power, fame, flesh, addictions, anything else that can take us away from the mission of serving God. And will we come down off that high horse ourselves or do we have to wait for God to knock us over? And faith and humility overcome all senses. You know, we can hear, we can see, we can taste, we can smell. But when we have faith and humility, we only um, sense God. So now let's look at how the power of Christ in a man who'd been a hateful villain became a love-filled hero by submitting himself completely to Jesus Paul was able to spread the gospel throughout the world I'm finished. I'm sure. So I reflected on these points When God brings a person to faith in Jesus Christ He already knows what he has for them to do He knows the service he wants for him in the kingdom And sometimes people are real slow to understand God's plan And may even try to resist it Good luck Paul's conversion shows that Jesus is persistent and he himself wanted the gospel message to go to the Gentiles, squashing any argument from the earliest Jewish Christians that the gospel was only for them. The men with Saul didn't see Jesus, but Saul did. And this miraculous message was meant for one person only, for Saul. So when God's got a message for you, it will be for you. The scales fell from Paul's eyes, symbolising a spiritual transformation that allowed him to see the truth. And once he knew the truth about Jesus, there's no going back. And that's that is the key. Once, we, once Jesus lifts the scales from our eyes and we know the truth, we can't deny it. There's, there's actually no alternative. And Saul witnessed the risen Christ which fulfilled the qualification of being an apostle. Only those who had seen him could testify to his resurrection. I just want to finish by saying our God is amazing, and he wants a Damascus Rose experience for all of us on some level. Remember that verse in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through